There's a great book written by Kevin DeYoung called Crazy Busy. And in that book, he says this, you and I have a problem. Most mornings we drag ourselves out of bed, start the day's routine, and hope against hope that we can simply hold our ground. Maybe we can just keep the house only in a mild state of disaster. Maybe we can break even on the to-do list. Maybe no one else will get sick. Maybe the inbox won't get any fuller. Maybe we won't fall asleep after lunch. Maybe, just maybe, we can get enough done in the next 18 hours to beat back the beast of busyness and live to see another day. We wake up most days not trying to serve, just trying to survive. Does that resonate with you? Boy, it resonates with me. And if it doesn't resonate with you, I'm gonna feel guilty all day. So my hope is it resonates with you because, I th look, how often do you have these kind of thoughts run through your mind? Where in the world did the week go? Or what did I actually do today? Or you ever had it where you, you, you put your feet out of the bed first thing in the morning and the first thought that comes to your mind is, oh, when can I get back in bed and take a nap? That's really discouraging, isn't it? Last night we were on our way home from a basketball game and it, is, it was our last basketball game in the state of Indiana for any of our sons. As we're driving back, my wife said to me, you know, the next time we'll watch a family member that's a boy play basketball, it will be our <laughs> grandchildren. And I just was like, no! Where did, where did the time go? I mean, that's, you know what that's like. I do as well. Well, let me get you thinking kind of in another domain. In the course of your social engagements with one another, as you greet one another, when you ask somebody, how are you doing? How, how often do you hear these kind of statements? So you say, how are you doing? And someone responds, our life is really balanced and fulfilled right now. You say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm excited about how much margin I have in my life. <laughs> it's almost nerdy to say that, isn't it? Or, how you doing? You know, I spent last week doing mostly the things that are important and the stuff I'm good at. <laughs> the, the reality is, words like busy, exhausted, so full, where did the week go, that's the normative conversation that we have, isn't it? And in the midst of all of that, we have this issue of time, your life. One of the greatest resources that you've been given, one of the most strategic resources, how you use your life and how you use your time. Now, granted, we don't know how, we, we won't all have the same lifespan, but the fact of the matter is, is we all had the same 168 hours last week. We all had the same 744 hours in the month of January and we all had the same 8,760 hours in 2016. You know what time is? Time is the place where we have the opportunity to do God's will. Time is the place, the, the location and time that we have the opportunity to use the gifts that God has given us. It's, it's the location where we're able to express what it means to be an image bearer. And so the question that I want you to be thinking out with me this morning is this, as it relates to making our passion practical, how does that relate to the issue of time? This is week three, as we're trying to figure out what the 
stewardship idea is within the Bible. In week one, we saw that God is creator, we're his image bearers, and we are to use God's gifts in the world. Last week, we looked at the subject of generosity, and I encouraged you to try and find a way to kill the curl. And maybe the Lord helped you kill the curl this week as it relates to your money or your possessions or maybe your time. Maybe you stopped asking someone, hey, do you have 10 minutes? And by the way, stop asking me that. It's not funny anymore. So, okay, so uh, like 15 people this week, hey, do you have 10 minutes? <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> killed a curl on you, right? That's just, it's just not funny, all right? So we're talking about today, church, is this. We're talking about the stewardship of your life. So how do you take your life and use it for God's glory? How do you use your life and use it in a way that counts? I mean, you want your life to count, right? Like at your funeral, what do you want your children and grandchildren to say? The goal of this message today is to encourage you to live your life in a way that fits with God's mission in the world. I don't want to help you just survive another week. My goal is to help you think, what does it mean to really use my life and to thrive as I'm serving the Lord Jesus? I want you to be able to pray something like this. Instead of your feet hitting the floor and you thinking, oh, I can't wait to get back to bed, that maybe this week, a few times, you'll put your feet on the floor and before you move, and get up out of bed, you would just say, Lord, I'm yours today. My day belongs to you. My calendar belongs to you. Help me to be all in for you. I'm ready to use my life to serve you in whatever way you see fit today. I'm yours. Let's go. A friend of mine says that the challenge with the Christian life is that it is so daily. And I think that's true. So let's see what Ephesians 5 tells us about what it means to be a good steward of our lives. There's four things. Number one, Paul tells this church and us to look at your walk carefully. In verse 15, it says, look carefully then how you walk. The command is that we ought to be careful, thoughtful, and intentional about how we think about our lives. That if you're a follower of Jesus, there is a stewardship that you have as it relates to your life, to your time, and to how you use all of that for God's glory. And we're dropping into Ephesians 5. We haven't been studying the book of Ephesians in total, so you need to understand that what Paul is doing here is that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he gives them some, some weighty doctrinal truths. And then in chapters four, five, and six, he applies them. It's a classic sort of Paul structure in his letters. First heavy doctrine, then significant application. And it's very similar to what we're doing through the stewardship series because the first week I identified some underlying biblical principles as it relates to stewardship and then helped you see that those underlying theological realities then affect how we live every single day. Now for Paul, the key word as it relates to that transfer of theology to life is the word walk. It is his favorite word to connect the total experience of the Christian life 
and how it is then lived out. And this is not the only place that Paul uses the word walk. Let me give you a few examples. Ephesians 4.1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians 4.17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Ephesians 5, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And then in Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So the idea is that believers are to understand that what they believe about theologically is then to, ex- to then affect how they live. And even if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, like you totally believe that should be the case. Like it drives you crazy when people believe things about God and then they don't live it out. And that's what Paul is saying here. Like that's what real Christianity is. That there's a connection between who God is, what Jesus has done, and then where we live, that there's sweeping implications of this. And Paul identifies that we're to walk in a particular way. So he says, look carefully then how you walk. This word, walk, unlike the word run, or stand, or rest, or think, walk summarizes kind of the the normal experience of what it means to live the Christian life. In other words, Christianity, by definition, is meant to be transformative in the most basic elements. And as it relates to your life and time, it means that biblical principles should work their way all the way down into 24-hour increments of your life. That the the implications of Christianity are so sweeping that it, it actually affects what you do every day. It affects your priorities. It affects every aspect of your life. When Paul says, look carefully how you walk, he's identifying that there are some important things that believers should consider. That there is this this natural walk that they could be drawn into that he wants them to consider carefully if they're being drawn into that. You see, time is the basic element of what we're all given. Every day the sun rises, the sun sets. You get up, eat, go to work, go home, sleep, and you repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And everyone in our culture is doing the exact same thing. And the question is, are the values, are the passions, are the drives of the culture beginning to cause you just to kind of go along in the stream of life, and so you're as busy as everybody else. You're doing the same thing as everybody else. Everybody at work is doing the same thing that you're doing. You just kind of go along, go along, go along, go along, and never stop to take a step back and go, wait a minute, should I be walking this way? Is this the way that I should be living? Because there's all kinds of societal pressure. There's all kinds of of, uh, social media pressure. There's all kinds of... um, even suburbia sort of pressure. I gotta be like everybody else and do what everybody else does. Everybody else has these things, so why, why shouldn't I? And then you have kids and they begin asking that question, right? Like you're the only parent in the entire world who won't let your kid have that app, right? 
And I'm the only kid in the whole world that doesn't have the newest iPhone. I'm the only kid, et cetera, et cetera. And you begin to feel, even as parents, this kind of, this, this pressure. And what, what Paul is asking us to do is to be sure that we're not just sort of floating around, putting our minds in neutral, but instead to really think. So where exactly am I going? Yesterday, we were on our way to a basketball game, and my mind, I kind of put it in park. I'm traveling along on 465, and I knew where we were going, but my exit that I'm supposed to get off is approaching very quickly. And in my mind, that wasn't the right exit. There was another, and I just wasn't quite oriented. And my wife, beautiful, after 24 years, has learned the way to ask this next question. <laughs> she asked it this way. Is there another way that you know to get to the game that I don't? <laughs> that is, that's a wise woman right there. That's brilliant, isn't it? Listen, write that down, wives. Is, is there another way to get to the game that I don't know about? And she asked it in such a way that I was like, um, no. That's the exit. And I got off. And listen, some of you, that's how you're living right now. Like you're just cruising along, mind in neutral, and you're assuming that because everybody else is cruising along at 55 miles an hour, or 65 miles an hour on the expressway of life, and everyone else is doing all these things, and everyone else is all these things that are going on, that you're just doing everything that you should be doing like everybody else. And Paul says, look carefully how you walk. The word look means not only to see with the eyes, but it means pay attention. It means to examine with care. It means to evaluate something, listen, in light of the risks. In the Bible, it's used for looking out for danger. At other times, it's to not miss what's really important. There's some of you that the single, like everything else I say after this point doesn't really matter because the single thing that you need to get from this message is this. You need to look carefully at your life and you're not looking. You're just traveling along, doing what everybody else is doing, and assuming that just because there's a mass group of people that, that you're good. And Paul says, look, look carefully. In context, Ephesians 5, he wants them to look carefully, lest things like immorality, in verse 3, impurity, covetousness, lest those things start to surface in their life. Because that's part of just kind of going along with the crowd too. Everybody else says those things. Everyone else looks at that. Everyone else does this. And you start to feel like, you know what? That's kind of the normal way of life. And Paul says, look carefully how you walk. It relates not only to moral issues, but it relates to how you redeem your time. When we think about what it means to be all in, it doesn't just mean possessions. It doesn't just mean money. Like it means all of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is all in. That means your calendar, your schedule, your priorities. It means that you realize that it would be a huge mistake to think that stewardship just relates to stuff. In fact, for many of us, the most valuable thing that you have is your time. Your kids don't want your stuff. They want you. Your spouse doesn't want stuff. He or she wants you. The thing said at your funeral is not going to be, my dad had a killer tractor in the garage. They're going to talk about rides on the tractor. 
So listen, to not think about how you live is a huge mistake and it potentially puts you in grave danger. So let me ask you, how long has it been since you've looked carefully at how you walk? At how you use your time? You see, because when it comes to stewardship, there are some really big questions related to stewardship that we need to ask, questions like this. Like, why am I here? What's my calling in life? What is my purpose? Why are we doing what we're doing? You see, how we walk has divine purpose and significant potential impact. So the question is, do you look carefully at your life? Do you maximize it for God's glory? Do you think, I've been given my life in order to serve others? Or just think of this last week. What did you do last week that, that really has lasting, significant spiritual value? One of the ways that it's been a great help to my soul in thinking about this is on a regular basis, I take some time and I journal. I've got years of journals in my office. On a piece of paper, I simply ask myself a few questions. What was it that happened yesterday and where did I see the Lord at work? What questions am I struggling with today? And what's in front of me that I need to have the Lord help me with? And that takes a small little page, maybe 10 minutes of time. And for me, it's really helpful at two levels. One, because it reorients that my day in front of me is not my own. It belongs to Jesus. And I need to be sure that I'm thinking, how am I going to be the best steward of it? But it also helps when I'm discouraged, when I think, you know what? I've done all this work, done all these things. And why does it really matter? In my office, in two boxes, are every single message that I preached at my last church. The sum total of my sermon work at my last church is captured in two small boxes. That's really depressing, <laughs> especially when you know another sermon's coming. So what are the two boxes in your life? What are the things that you need to look at and say, Lord, does this, is this really amounting to anything? You may have built a great business, you may have already raised your kids, you may be a phenomenal artist, you may be able to be top salesman in your group, you may be a, a phenomenal mom or a great dad. But the question is, what, what really lasts? You see, what Paul is driving at is that we're in the world for a particular reason. And our purpose for being here and the time that we've been given is to be good stewards, to be able to maximize it for God's glory, which is why he says, look at your life carefully. Here's the second thing. He also says, live your, live your life wisely. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So the idea is you could, you could live your life unwisely, or you could live it wisely. So unwisely, or wisely. So in other words, there's things that you have to say yes to, and there's things you have to say no to. So what do you mean when we use the word wisdom? What does it mean to live wisely? Here's, here's how I would understand it. It means biblical truth applied to life. It means that I take the principles of Scripture and I apply them to every arena of where I'm living. Paul is going to do this later on in chapter 5. We, we won't study it, 
but he's going to take these principles and he's going to apply them and extend it to areas like marriage and home and work. So wisdom is essentially taking God's principles and then applying them to every arena. When I was in junior high and high school, my regular reading pattern every day was a, a proverb. Whatever day of the month it was, that was the proverb that I was reading. And that was kind of in high school where my mind came alive to two realities. Number one, that the Bible was incredible. And secondly, that it actually applied to where I lived. I mean, the Bible spoke about money and business and relationship and girls and bullies and authority and all sorts of things. And it helped me understand that there's this beautiful integration of biblical truth and how to live, and that's what Paul is lobbying for. So does your life fit with biblical principles? In general, is your life ordered in a way that would fit with making a difference in terms of the way that God has designed and ordained you to live? 25 years ago, Sarah and I were in premarital counseling, and I saw this particular paradigm that has informed so much of my life. In fact, when I candidated here at College Park in 2008, uh, this, this was what I shared with you. This is how I think about my life. This is how I think about ministry, that I gotta be God's kind of person, God's kind of partner, God's kind of parent, God's kind of parishioner, God's kind of provider, God's kind of player. Meaning that in my world, these two things are combined. So I think it person, partner, parent, pastor, player. But the point is this, that my life is built on this paradigm. And I think 1 Timothy 3, regarding qualifications of elders, bears this out. Gotta be the right kind of person, right kind of husband, right kind of parent, before you can be the right kind of pastor. And so over the years, as I've thought about how to plan my life, I'll even take um, an annual set of goals, for instance, and say, what do I need to grow spiritually this year? What do I wanna do to be a better husband? How do I want to be sure that I'm on target as, as, as a parent? The time is ticking away. And then what do I need to do in order to be God's kind of pastor? And then even, yes, how do I need to be God's kind of player? Meaning, what are we going to do this year that's going to be fun together? A number of years ago, we, um, my parents said, hey, can we take the kids from you? And I said, absolutely. And so they, they drove down and we, uh, we met them. They were from time living in Michigan and we met them um, in uh, Kokomo and they took the kids, and then we went away together for the weekend, but instead of driving all over the place, we wanted to spend some time just talking about where were we headed as a family, and so we spent the weekend in Kokomo, Indiana. So it was awesome, kind of. So um, I laid out on a piece of paper the age of, ages of our kids, and I told my wife, there's a four-year window right here that if we're going to do anything big together as a family, this is the region that we have to do it right here. This is our sweet spot. After this, it's gone. And so we set out some goals as to what we're going to do as a family to be able to maximize that time, take a huge trip out west together. We planned all of that, and we call it to this day the Kokomo Plan. And we found on a regular basis that getting away as a husband and wife to think about where are we headed. In fact, nearly every Sunday night on a micro level, we sit down, open up our calendars and say, okay, let's talk about where we're going this week. What are we going to do? How are we going to be able to have a quiet time? When are we going to go get a workout in? How are we going to manage our life? Here's the requests that have come in. We have to have that weekly meeting. It's my least favorite meeting of the week. You know why? Because there's never enough time. I find myself having to usually pray after that meeting because I'm internally frustrated, and yet without that meeting, you know what? There's no way we could possibly survive. That paradigm, God's kind of person, partner, parent, parishioner, provider, player, I think that should inform 
when you get a job opportunity? I mean, really, you're going to go to a city and you haven't thought about where you're going to go to church? You haven't thought about the implications for your relationship with your kids and things of that sort? I, I find way too many people who think that where they should move is just related to the next step on the employment ladder. In fact, when I was walking through this material one time with a, a young couple who was getting, getting ready to be married, his name was Ted, I walked him through this and his face got really pale and I said, what's the matter? He said, well, if this is true, I've got to quit my job. Like, we can't live in, in this particular area of the country and he gave a bunch of lists, reasons, and I was like, yeah, well, okay, why don't you think about that? He goes, no, I'm, I'm quitting tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, he goes, because this is true, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, it's true. Are you sure you want to quit your job? He goes, yeah. And so he, he, he quit his job and then came back for the next counseling session. He said, okay, so this is true. So now, um, now what do I do? <laughs> and I was like, well, we need to, we need to pray. Um, and I remember very specifically, we met and I was, we were in the sanctuary, was kneeling and praying with him, had my arm around him. And I remember crying out to the Lord, I prayed verbally for him. Internally, I was praying, God, you have got to provide this guy a job in this area because he has quit his job. And you know what? He did, and the Lord honored that. And I'm just telling you, brother, sister, you can have the greatest job in the world, but you lose your marriage, you lose your kids. What's the point? You have a, a great house, all the income you've ever wanted, but Kids don't know you, your spouse doesn't trust you, you got no time and margin to be able to serve. You just sort of climb on the corporate ladder, you're gonna find out that ladder's leaning against the wrong building. The challenge is that so often we are consumed with busyness and we're consumed with just sort of doing what everyone else does and we're consumed with the pride of, of pleasing people, of the need for affirmation, of this craving for possessions this desire to be in control, that we're, we're not living wisely. Are you living wisely? Is your life ordered on biblical principles? Are you trying to serve, or are you just trying to survive? Third, use time strategically. Verse 16, Paul says this, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. When Paul says make the best use of the time, he means to redeem it. Interesting, the, the same word, make the best use of, is the same word that Paul uses in Galatians 3 when he says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So the idea is that you're able to, to, to buy back time in order to use it for strategic purpose. When he says time, he doesn't just mean 24-hour increments. It means more like era. So here's the question you need to wrestle with. You were born in the 20th and 21st century. Why? Why you, why in this moment, why has God strategically placed you? You could be born in some other country, but you're born in this one, or now you're here in this country. You could have a particular job, and now you've got the one that you're in. Why? Why has God placed you there? Why has he even given you the hardships and the difficulties that come into your, have come into your life? Why is he giving you the personality that you have? Why is he giving you the gifts that he has? 
God's got a mission and a purpose for you, and I'm pretty sure it's not just so you can have a job, earn money, have lots of stuff, so you can have kids who can get a job to earn money so they can have lots of stuff. I'm pretty sure that's not the plan. The plan instead is to realize that the gates of hell cannot resist the advance of the gospel. The aim of God is to be able to reach people in the world. The aim of God is to be able to see our gifts to be used in a way that maximize his glory. He says, redeem the time or make the best use of the time because the days are evil. The idea is that you're light in the midst of darkness if you're a follower of Jesus. That means that there are people that God has providentially placed in your neighborhood and at your workplace and around you, and time is the resource that is used in order to be able to reach them. But oh, how easy it is to go to work, put our heads down, just do the tasks that are in front of us, which you should do and should do well so that you have opportunity to then build into others and relationships and be able to pour into people who are around you. The question that I want you wrestling is, is this, where is your mission field? And could it be right in front of you? We're all in different stages of life. If you're a student, whether it's middle school, high school, or college, God's placed you right in the middle of that classroom, right in that academic environment. And listen, you need to be a really good student. You need to be as best as you can possibly be to be a steward of your gifts so that you can get into a role in the future to have influence, not so you can climb the corporate ladder alone, but so you can climb the corporate ladder in order to have influence for the sake of Christ. God's put students in your orbit. You may be you may be the one person to help a fellow classmate understand the beauty of the gospel. If you're single, in this season of life, you, you typically, although not always, have more discretionary time. And you know what? You could use that. You could use that to, to mentor younger people. You could use that to go on a, a vision trip. You could use that to, to serve in some capacity. If you're married, married and have children, you need to work hard so that you know what what are our priorities through every phase of life and not allow your life to run you and to know that all those activities that you have your kids in, they're not necessarily wrong, but realize those are platforms for discipleship conversations. And as a parent, job number one is to disciple the children or to evangelize and to disciple the children who are in the context of your home to be sure that your schedule has enough time, not just for all the activities, but to be able to care for the soul of your children. Because, I'm sorry, Sunday school teachers can help, youth staff can help, but the reality is the most influential person on a child's spiritual development is their mom and their dad. And you need to know that if you're pouring in and pouring in and pouring in, mom and dad, that that time isn't wasted. It is absolutely worth it. And you need to keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. you're an empty nester, maybe you're in your 50s, you've got this sweet spot between how much knowledge you have and how much energy you have. <laughs> Just saying, that energy's going to go lower, your knowledge is going to go up, but right now you're at, like in the perfect spot. Listen to this, you're as smart probably as you're ever going to be, okay? <laughs> so why not use that? Why not find a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old and say, you know what, i got to make some time. I'm just going to meet some guy over coffee. We're just going to talk about life, get to know them and use them. Not use them, get to know them and, yeah, that's not what I meant. 
and be able to pour your life into them so that they can learn from the life experience and your failures. And if you're retired, brother, sister, you cannot tap out. You can't be like, already served, I'm out. There's no like mic drop moment for serving in the church. Like you're, I'm out, peace out, I'm done. You know, retired people don't even know what that means. But just what this, what, what I, you, you do not get the chance to say, I'm done. Look, your wisdom, your compassion, that can be used in a really significant and wonderful way. Whatever season of life you're in, would you ask yourself the question, God, why am I here? Why have you given me these experiences? None of this has happened by accident. And how is it that perhaps you could use my life for your glory? The thing I'd like you to think about is this. What would you put in this blank? Lord, help me not to waste my Every single one of us need to think through, how do I redeem my time? Some of you who, you just, you're just not involved in serving anyone, anything, whether it's in the church, outside of the church, and you, you, know, you know that there's more to life than what you're doing, and I would just encourage you, look, brother, sister, you need to take a step. Find some way to say, my life needs to count for more than what I'm doing. Or some of you have already been serving and you're serving faithfully and I need to cheer you on and encourage you. Like, don't quit, keep going. Or if you're wondering, I'm pouring all my life, my, I'm pouring my life, my time and my kids. Is it, is it getting in there? It is. Just keep making deposits, keep making deposits. Finally, this text tells us that we are to consider God's will thoughtfully. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you want to know God's will? I mean, when Paul's talking about God's will, he's not just talking about it like from a, like, what is God's overall plan for my life? Certainly that implies it at one level, but the idea is that they are to know how God wants them to live. And can I just tell you, I, like I've just told you what God's will is. Like you don't need to wonder, like this is, the, the Bible says you're to redeem the time, so now you gotta go figure that out. And you gotta work out what it means in order to live in light of God's will. So my, my bottom line question would be this, is your life aligned with the will of God? Is your calendar is your use of time informed by God's plan for your life? Do you see the connection between godliness and the stewardship of your time and life? A challenge to you would be to find one or two ways to take the great resource of your time and to be able to use it and make it more useful to the Lord. For instance, instead of watching Jeopardy this week, why don't you read a good theology book? Or why don't you make time for coffee to disciple someone? Or maybe you know there's a spiritually searching person in your relationship sphere, and why not find a way to be able to build into their life? Maybe as a husband and wife, you need to get away for a weekend and just clear the deck and say, where are we headed? 
Maybe tonight, after you get home, after fresh encounter service or congregational meeting, you need to open up your calendars and just say, look, what are we doing this week and what's gonna count? There are some of you who, quite frankly, you just need to go to bed earlier. And I'm, I'm dead serious, and here's why. I, was, I read something this week by D.A. Carson, really, really helpful. It said this, for some of you, it's sinful to not go to bed early. And here's why. Because if you don't, you wake up and you start sinning right away because you're grumpy all day. And here's the thing, and if you know that you're gonna be sinfully grumpy all day and you don't go to bed, you've just sinned twice. <laughs> because you've sinned in the morning and you sin by not going to bed, so you've been a bad steward and you're grumpy. And by the way, no one wants to live with you like that. So for the sake of God's glory and the good of your family, brother, sister, go to bed, right? <laughs> and one of the reasons you should love this message, I just gave you a spiritual reason to go to bed early. But listen, underneath that, Underneath that is this relentless belief that we can simply do and manage our life, and so we run and run and run and run. There's no margin. There's, there's, there's no ability to be able to rest in God's grace. And what Paul says here is, look, this is God's will. Understand it. When you think of what it means to be all in, it's got to mean more than money. It's got to mean more than possessions. One of the greatest resources that we all have is our time, it's our life. And I want you this week to ask the Lord on a regular basis, maybe it's one or two days, God, here's my day, here's my life, it's all in for you. Take it, use it for your glory, however you wanna use it, but it's all in for you. That at the end of the day, that maybe this week could be a week where you're not just surviving, you actually found a way to serve God in a way that wasn't the normative pattern before. To be all in means that my money, my possessions, and my calendar, and my life, it's all his. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to know how very specifically, this passage and this message need to be translated into our lives. I ask you to give us grace to know what things we need to change, what conversations need to happen, and God, how we might order our lives in a way that fits with your will. Lord, for weary people today, would you give them grace? And for those, Lord, who just need to turn and repent from a mindset of busyness because of what it gives them, would you just even now pour mercy and hope into their life? And church, before we dismiss, would you just take a moment to translate this into your own life? And would you just tell the Lord what it is that's on your mind and heart about this message today. Something needs to be prayed about, something needs to be repented of. Tell them right now.
Thank you, Lord Jesus, that there's nothing that we've just told you about that was a surprise to you, and we ask for grace to be the kind of people who make the best use of our time because the days are indeed evil. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.